Let's go to North Carolina, where Pastor Jonathan Conrad is standing by. Pastor Jonathan Conrad is senior pastor at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Wilmington, North Carolina. He's a friend of our shows. We've been in contact over the years, and I thought it would be a good idea to talk with Pastor Jonathan Conrad during this moment in history. Thank you, Pastor, for joining us. It's my pleasure, sir. Yes. I should mention to my listeners that Pastor Conrad is a listener, and uh, he has quite a sense of humor. <laughs> yes, I do. In fact, uh, I have to share with you, and please tell Jackie this. A couple weeks ago, I was at a spiritual retreat, and all our meals, they volunteered to have people to tell jokes. <laughs> and all the jokes I could think of was from Jackie. And so I just had to sit there and bite my tongue. Like, you know, I know about three really good jokes I could tell you right now. <laughs> what You have uh, small kids. Yes. What do you tell your kids about jokes? Or are they too young? <laughs> well, uh, my kids are learning to tell jokes. Uh, my, my son... I still remember the first joke he said was, why did the chicken cross the road? And I said, why? And he goes, well, they get to the drugstore. <laughs> and I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, well, that, <laughs> I guess that's called goal setting for the, for the little, uh, the chicken, but he's learning to laugh. Um, I've, I've shown him like when I'm allowed to for my wife, show him like parts of the Marx brothers and three stooges. And mm -hmm. he, he gets laughs out of that physical comedy. Uh, Anywhere that his son and his dad, excuse me, gets hit in the head or right. falls down, he laughs. And uh, right. my daughter, too, is uh, she tried to give a joke, uh, kind of like the chicken joke. And then about three minutes later, she got to the punchline. So right. I'm like, well, uh, she should start her own podcast, I guess. So right. she, she'd be really good. So they're getting it. Uh, they love to laugh. Um, I, I think kids that age really go for the physical kind of humor, the right. slapstick, which I grew up on. Right. People in pain. It, it, there's something it's, funny it's like, about people it, suffering, right? Especially when it's their dad. <laughs> <laughs> so it's problematic because I don't even know why I'm asking you this. I, I, I've discussed Jackie the Joke Man with a lot of my listeners, a lot of my guests. He's a, a compendium. He is the most thorough compendium of jokes that will be lost if the PC culture has its way. And these are pieces of history. And comedy comes from pain. And I should move on and talk about the real pain that's going on. And that is the crisis we find ourselves in. What is going on in Wilmington, North Carolina? What, what are you sensing from your parishioners? Well, I'm, I'm sensing a lot of, actually, it's, it's just sensing a lot of silence, a lot of people waiting for the shoe to drop and waiting for that first uh, confirmed case in our county, which is New Hanover County. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of people who are just staying in, inside, people who have to go to work, they do, trying to keep all the contact down. But it's been really painful because as a pastor, you're one of your calls is to go and see people and meet people and 
and, and speak with, and, and talk to people and be with them in their times of distress or, or joy and to not be able to do that, that's a, that's a really hard thing for pastors to do and rabbis and imams and those who are religious leaders to do uh, because we were taught to be in community. Right. And so this has really been learning on a fly of what do you, what does community look like? in an online world, and so I've, I've suddenly learned what Zoom is and how to do it and trying to do that on a regular basis. Yeah, yeah. So Sunday was declared a national day of prayer, but mm-hmm. I know that most churches were empty, most mosques were empty, temples were empty on Saturday. I would assume the St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Wilmington, North Carolina was empty? It was empty. I and me and about four others got together so we could do our first live stream using mm-hmm. Facebook, and we streamed a, a service uh, at ten. Very easy liturgy, like to be read by the people, and then I did a sermon, right. and that was it. And so we uh, we we tried to get the word out as as best as we could since it was so. Not last minute, but like, you know, we were waiting to the last second to say, okay, we're gone and we're canceled. Mm-hmm. And it was hard. I mean, it was just such an empty feeling to be in such an empty space, but we had some really good response saying thank you for being there. And I know that a lot of my friends who are pastors and, and rabbis and imams, that they're learning ways to do this so that people have something to go to because you can only take so much news. Right. And you can only take so much lack of sports and, and so much lacking right now that right. it's nice to know that we can offer them something. Yeah, yeah. Zoom is purely video. Do they also have audio? Yes. Uh, I subscribed to it uh, just this morning, actually, officially, and I did uh, a Zoom conference, and I recorded it, and it provides an audio version, too. And I wonder... So we can make that available. Yeah, and, and I wonder... What would be more effective, video or just audio, when it comes to a religious service? There's something, I was talking to a friend, uh, actually it was Helene Olin, uh, before the show started, and she was telling me about Neil Postman, who wrote a book, I think it was called Entertaining Ourselves to Death, Mm -hmm. and Helene told me that in the book, Postman writes that a visual medium makes logic impossible. That when you're looking at something and watching something, your brain misfires in a way that you're not receptive to logic. And that writing, radio, and podcasting, as long as it's audio, is much more effective than uh, than the visuals that come with television. I wonder, did did you wrestle with that, whether or not to do video or just audio? No, not really. We feel like uh, we have a large number in our congregation who do social media. Mm -hmm. So we thought that that would be the best way then to reach them was to use those platforms. And uh, I I grew up, uh, I worked in radio before I went into ministry. I, it's amazing. I had a face for radio and for ministry. So, uh, there wasn't much else going for mm-hmm. me there. So I, uh, I was in the radio 
world for about 10 years before really? going into ministry. Really? Yeah, and it was, I enjoyed it, uh, the, the power of the voice, taking voice lessons and learning to inflect, which is really important, especially for someone who's preaching or in, in your field, telling a joke. I mean, the way you tell a joke is almost as important as the joke itself. Right. And uh, for me, I, you know, I use my hands. I like to, I like to preach without my manuscript. So kind of people are watching and I'm watching them. So we have better eye contact. Um, but I think the way you say it adds to it. I, I, I agree that on audio, I think I've retained more things by just audio than if I'm doing video. But I, it never really came to my mind just to do the audio version. Although we do make audio versions of our sermons available. So, uh, we think this is just like an added bonus now. So people can choose to listen or to watch. Right. And, um, especially we, we have people because we are a community of faith. We want to be together and see one another. So to sit, let them see me or see my associate pastor or you know, somebody in our staff doing something makes it important at this time right. during the pandemic. But it's no replacement for actual physical contact. Absolutely not. No, I, I wish I wish we could all be together again. Right. Uh, just for the sense that you could hold their hand and say, you know, we're going to get through this together. And that's hard to do. I mean, my mom is in uh, North Carolina, but she's about three and a half, four hours away. And it's hard to not be closer to go and check on her. She's she's in good health. She's doing okay. My sister's check on her, too. It's just hard to be away from people you love. And not, not you can't really do anything about it. And um, you just have to... You know, try to stay strong for one another, and uh, you know I'm very grateful that my kids are healthy, my wife is healthy. We're uh, we're kind of it's like a staycation mm-hmm. for the next four or five years, it seems. Yeah, well, I, maybe not four to five years. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe by the end of the week you'll feel uh, feel a little bit shorter. But we, um, I think that's what also it's just that whole unknown. Yeah. Like we really do not know. And that that's what has always stressed me out the most. Um, when it came to like a call or when my wife was going on internship, they had this really sick way of saying one day, okay, we've got a place for you, but we're not going to tell you until two days later. Right. So you have this whole thing going on. So I think for a lot of people, it's just they'd love to know when it will end so that they can then deal with it right. better. I think that's a really that's an interesting point. I I think the people who are most relaxed are Tom and Rita Hanks, uh, Idris Elba. I think they're fine because they 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 are not living in fear of contracting it. You know, one of the things as a stand up comic, when you do a high pressure gig that you know you're really nervous about, you relax the minute they introduce you. It's it's the lead up to the performance. It's not knowing what the future is. Faith is really important because anxiety is trying to control the future. Often you don't know what's in the future and anxiety and your amygdala starts misfiring all these hormones. I think I'm getting this biologically correct. I'm probably not. But in anticipation of something horrible that you don't know 
what is the horror that's about to hit you, your fight or flight responses juice you up and you have anxiety in preparation for something that you don't know where the attack is coming from. And faith, in many ways, is a great antidote to anxiety because you should live in uncertainty that part of the price you pay for life is uncertainty and you have to have faith because otherwise you will freak out life is uncertain yes, did i put you to I sleep agree, reverend yeah. did i call you reverend or pastor uh, you can call me whatever you like sir can i call you rabbi it would be a lot easier for me. Can I call you Rabbi? Rabbi just well, means I mean, teacher. Know, it just means Reverend teacher. Barry Lynn, yeah, uh, the Reverend Barry Lynn. So you know, you can call me uh, uh, Pastor Jonathan, or you know, Your Honor, or yeah. my leash, what you know, whatever you feel yeah. compelled to do. But it's um, it's it's the it, that faith. It doesn't have to be faith in Jesus, faith in God. You just have to have faith in yourself and in others. And that it'll it'll work out. And there's not too much in your control. There's some things you can control. You're, you can control your behavior and how you treat others. But the rest is reactive. And if you can learn to live with uncertainty and and be sober minded and react accordingly you'll be fine yeah and, and that's very hard for this our, our culture to do uh, mm -hmm. to because sometimes people will ask me well how do you know there's a god and i'm like well i don't know for a hundred percent but i feel it mm -hmm. and I, I i choose to believe that there is a god and so sometimes when people say well how do you know it's going to end good or if or end well or we're going to get through this. And he's like, well, it's better than thinking that we're not. Right. And that, you know, it's so and being fatalistic about it. Uh, you know, it's not like I'm trying to be positive. I'm trying to be certain and strong for people who need to hear that it's going to be okay. Right. And um, I think that that's one of the biggest things that a faith can give people is uh, not just for myself, but to be there for those who, who need it. Right. Uh, and, to be a presence. I mean, some of my best friends are not believers and, you know, I love them to death and, you know, but they, they will turn to me if they need something and they want to talk or just have someone to hear them. And because they know that we're friends and they know that that's one of the things I like to do is to just be there. Right. And it's, it's really hard when all you see around, I mean, that's why I tell people, I mean, I try to encourage people, you know, you can watch news, but, Put it down for like an hour. I mean, it, you know, twenty four seven cycle. It's just, it's, it's. They're getting, they're selling you something. Yep. And it's not positivity. Nope. And um, it, it's hard for people to understand that and get that through their head. Like, you, know, you can actually help yourself by finding more positive things to go to. Yeah, I mean, the, the positive thing to go to is something like the New York Times, which is giving you the coronavirus update, or AP, or Vox. Most importantly, go to the CDC. You want to know how the coronavirus is doing? I'm going there right now, and it's been updated, and I can tell you 
that there's a coronavirus dashboard, ncov2019.live. This is all you need to know. As of uh, uh, what we're recording, we're not recording it Thursday. We're doing this on Wednesday. But as of Wednesday, there are 218,918 total confirmed cases. A total of 8,910 people around the world have died. 83,575 have recovered so far. And I'm just going to say this, you know, and then uh, we'll move on. I don't want to bore you. China has 80,894 confirmed cases. 3,237 are deceased. 69,601 have recovered. Wuhan is coming back to life. Uh, and it seems to be, you know, it's state-controlled media for the most part, and they haven't cooperated entirely with America, but they have 1.3 billion people in China, roughly, and there are 80,894 confirmed cases, 3,237 have, have passed away. In the United States, there are... 8,827 confirmed cases. So far, we've lost, as of, let's say, late Wednesday night when we're doing this, 136 people have passed away. There are comorbidities involved. There, there are stories of people who were dying of leukemia, and, you know, they tack on the coronavirus, and suddenly they've died from the coronavirus. I'm not downplaying this by any stretch and I don't want to come across as callous uh, the point I'm making is don't watch TV go to ncov2019.live get your numbers there and uh, do what the CDC tells you to do take care of yourself and then take care of others right and that's what we uh we're trying to do like with our kids they're they're really too young to understand what's going on so we just put, make it down to you know we just don't want to get sick or there's a flu going around because it, you don't want to get all heavy on them but they they understand things like that mm -hmm. and um they don't understand why they're not at school and seeing their friends which is really hard uh but we're trying to we're trying to break the monotony of, if not what like you said, you know, getting the statistics, and then for me, it's it's continuing to plan on how to get and find out more from our community. And I really can't do that by watching Fox News or MSNBC 24 hours a day. No, you, you just can't. And um, it's it's something that you just have to continue to tell people, like, get your facts, uh, do everything you can to be preventable, uh, but try to live your life and. You know, if you've got a, a chance to relax, uh, not relax, but just work this through, uh, you're not alone. There are a lot of people going through it, which is kind of very, it's rare that we can really say that this is a worldwide thing. It, we're not being hyperbolic. It's almost, it, except for the people who are suffering, you can look at it as a gift the same way the Sabbath is a gift. What is the Sabbath? Why is the Sabbath important? 
Well, for me, it's the the day that God rested. And if God decided, chose to be there a day to not do anything, then I think that that's something that's very important for us to realize, that we, we don't have to work seven days a week. Or we don't have to be on seven days a week. I know there are people who do work seven days a week, and I don't want to discount that. But that because they have to, to because they have to. Right, right. So they finding ways to rest. Uh, you can't always be on, and you're not giving your you're not getting your body to have any. Give, I'm sorry, doing any favors for yourself if you're just on all the time and you're not resting, you're not working out, or you're not doing any kind of time with family or uh, reading or just away time. And to me, Sabbath is a, a true gift. I mean, it's important that God made it one of the commandments to honor the Sabbath. And I think that honoring the Sabbath is also honoring what's going to be best to recharge your body, recharge your brain. Um, for me, Friday's my usual Sabbath day. And over the last year, I've just started watching movies mm-hmm. and uh, sitting on the couch and not moving for a few hours. And I feel recharged after that just because for once I can just be, not be somewhere. Right. They say one of the ways to maintain your immunity is to get sleep. That Mm -hmm. when you don't get enough sleep, you're susceptible to viruses. You get sick. So there's a reason the goes all the way back to the Old Testament. Obey the Sabbath. Don't work yourself to death. And uh, you gave up. I think this is kind of interesting. You contacted me a month ago to tell me that you would not be available throughout Lent via social media. You did a digital purge, a, dirt, a digital cleanse. It's just, yeah, just about. I, I did it last year. Uh, to much more success, but then this year with the pandemic, I thought, well, I need to keep some lines of communication open. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, but for a while, it, it was pretty easy for me not to go and check on the Twitter account or Facebook. Um, I think uh, what I did for Facebook is I had a email alert. So one of the groups that I follow, if somebody posted something in that group, I could just email them. Right. But, um, it, it, it's always good for me to kind of realize that Twitter is not my world. Right. And um, there are times I felt like I was going into the hole, you know, mm-hmm. like, oh, I got to see how they responded to this twit, right. twit, Twitter. And um, and it, what was interesting is usually it wasn't even me. It could be like maybe you had tweeted something or, you know, I remember Aaron Berg, <laughs> some <laughs> Some wonderful, <laughs> some wonderful Twitter fights. And so you just like, oh, this is good. Look at this. This is great. <laughs> and next thing you know, four hours just slipped away. And uh-huh. your wife's like, why aren't you in bed? And you're like, I'm, I'm just following Aaron Berg, which, you know, I think is normal for most men. You know, it's interesting. The Civil War gave us surgery. It's the worst thing that ever, one of the worst things that's ever happened to this country. But from the Civil War flowed surgery and great medical advances. And from this pandemic will flow 
greater knowledge about medicine and about ourselves and about social media. We've been told that social media is really bad for ourselves and that we should stay off it. I, I find my one vice uh, that I will admit to is coffee, and it's my drug. I, if I don't have coffee after, say, 3 p.m., and I wake up at 8 in the morning and have my first cup of coffee, and I've gone more than 12 hours with that cup of coffee, it is fantastic. It is a cup of optimism. It's a jolt. It's fantastic. And if I go 12, 15 hours without social media, it's just like coffee. That first jolt from checking Twitter and Facebook and my emails, my the neurons just start firing. But like coffee, after about a half hour to an hour, I keep hitting that button waiting for the sugar high and it don't come and then suddenly it becomes really toxic and it's not making me feel good but i keep going back to this and looking and looking i want that the dopamine rush that you get they've they've mri'd the brain and social media what? does to you the same exact thing that opiates do and dopamine do and if you can learn to limit your exposure to this stuff it's much better for you that's one of the downfalls of social media is that i think as a culture we're addicted to the like button mm -hmm. and so we, we put something out there just to see if somebody will like it and mm -hmm. we've associated they like that tweet or they like that facebook post or Instagram, so thus they must like me. And we have this need to be liked. And that's also dangerous because, and you know this, that not everybody's going to comment is going to agree with you. And so right. you can have that high, but all, almost immediately you can also go to that very low. Right. And it goes back to if someone disagrees with you, you suddenly think, well, why don't you like me? And, mm -hmm. and it didn't used to be that way. Like, I think it's hard now to make friends with people because I could have buddies and we could oppose one another from a theological standpoint, political standpoint, but because we knew each other, we loved each other like friends and brothers, that other stuff didn't matter. But now it seems like it's all of these prerequisites before we even spend time with one another. Right. And uh, that's, that's not good. Mm -hmm. uh, that's not good for society that we're just all want to be around people we're just like us. I, that's why at, at my church we have people all over the spectrum when it comes to theology and political. Because I, if I'm in a room with everybody who agrees with me, we never get anything done. Mm -hmm. you, know, you need to have those voices. You need to have the stories that people bring. Right. And um, I think that that's where social media, and I don't know if you can really change that on social media. I think that something like this, we can see maybe more the beauty of what it can do. Right. Which hopefully will heighten it. Right. We, we have to wrap it up. And you'll be coming back, I hope. Well, I hope you'll let me. Yeah. I, it's, a, it's a privilege to have you on. Vanessa Hudgens well, has 7 million followers on Twitter. I don't know how many followers she has on Instagram. I have no idea who she is other than she posted <laughs> something 
that said, uh, people are going to die, which is terrible, but like inevitable, completely tone deaf. Uh, and she had to apologize for offending people. She has 7 million followers on Twitter and she was just trivializing the pandemic. And she said, I'm sorry if I offended anybody. How about uh, giving wrong information out to your 7 million? How about just being irresponsible? And if this does, in fact, turn out to be the pandemic that we're being told it's going to be, that you may actually be responsible for one of your 7 million followers getting the coronavirus or, or, or trivializing it which leads to more people dying. I mean, you're spreading an epidemic of people not taking it seriously. Do we learn, are we capable of learning? Are, are, are we capable of realizing that Vanessa Hudgens is not to be listened to when it comes to current events? Are we capable of doing a reset after something like this, changing our lives? changing where we get our information from or are there powers that are beyond our control and by that i mean the corporate media that won't allow us to to reset and, and seriously consider who we listen to for guidance well i think being human people i mean human human people boy that's a i did it I'm last week so i said i said human people last week and I caught myself <laughs> saying it. Well, Listen, uh, you can edit that out. Uh, no, nah, like you sound a lot, nah. a lot more smarter. <laughs> a lot more smarter. But uh, I, I think for us, we're so, we are so human in that we grew up idolizing people like football players, entertainment entertainers, and I think ever when I was young, I just thought, well. These people I look up, up to, they've got to be the characters that they portray mm -hmm. or they got to be the characters that they write about. And so I don't think, I mean, I do think corporate media has a, a place in that. I mean, like, for instance, like the whole Tom Brady thing. Um, I mean, I wish him well if, if he wants to continue his career and it's not with New England Patriots. I'm talking football here, just in case you yeah. Uh, yeah. weren't following and. But it's like, it feels like it's all kind of a work, like all kind of like, are we in the middle of a drama, a reality TV show here? Uh, and it feels that way. I think we just get sucked into this whole fame idea. But I mean, I know there are people who follow preachers and, and, and famous religious people thinking that we're going to have all the answers. And, and Lord knows, I if, if I actually sent out some of the thoughts I had, uh, that would not, I, I would be in a lot of trouble. Mm -hmm. Not Vanessa, not Vanessa Hudgens, uh, level of trouble, but I mean, you know, people are like, wow, uh, you might not want to say that ever again. Right. And, um, so, but I think just as, as human creatures, we, we are drawn to fame as one of those outputs. Like, well, if David Feldman thinks this, then obviously it's wrong. So, you know, we right. have to go this way. So, um, right. um, I, I think, it, I, th I think that's just in us. I don't think that's going to change. I really don't. Uh, but I do think that something like this time where we have to 
social distance, it may get us to appreciate the real people in our lives and not, not the people that we think we know online. Yeah, but be careful around real people because they may not be as informed as Pastor Jonathan Conrad, senior pastor at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Wilmington, North Carolina. And how do people contact you, sir? Well, they can reach me on Twitter at PJ Conrad. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've got a website, pjconrad.com. Great. And um, that's I can I usually put my sermons there. So for those of you who have trouble sleeping, just reach, <laughs> go on over there and read and listen to your heart's content, and you will be asleep in no time. Great. Let's end with your having the last word. What advice would you give to my listeners during the next week? Because I happen to think, before you know, we're doing this on a Wednesday night. And the information that I'm getting is that this weekend will tell the tale of the tape, whether or not we, in fact, dodged a bullet, whether or not we were able to flatten the curve. I have faith, not in Donald Trump. I have faith in this country. I think people are going to be suffering. I think people are going to be dying and we have to help them and the best way we can help them is by flattening the curve, staying home. But I have faith that if you're listening to this in five days, and I hope I'm right, that we will say that that spike that we were expecting didn't materialize. That's I have faith that this country sometimes gets lucky. That you could either respond to that, but I want to give you the last word. Well, I would tell all your listeners out there that we can get through this and we will get through this because thinking we won't, I don't think that's the an alternative. We have to be positive, but we also have to be there for one another and to help one another in this time through either prayer or support or jokes or just a phone call uh, from people or just letting people know, hey, you are not alone. I'm scared too, but together we'll get through this. We will. I know we will. Well, you've earned this, sir. <laughs> that's how you get, that's how you get uh, anointed on the David Feldman show. We don't use the Crisco oil. But by the way, what is that? Well, we'll talk about Crisco oil and on the hands and all that kind of stuff. That's an actual thing, right? Oh, okay. I, I was thinking the Crisco was going to be used for something else. <laughs> just, no. You may want to say that for the Reverend Barry Lynn. He may yeah, know. Yeah, he may know. yeah, He's, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, I'll ask you about the, the, the anointing that goes on. Well, Pastor Jonathan Conrad, thank you very much for coming on the show, and uh, we'll talk to you uh, probably next week and stay on the line for one second. 